My name's Eric, one of the pastors here. Such a beautiful night. Sunday nights on the lawn are over. Sorry, it's really hot, isn't it? I haven't been outside all day today, but I feel like it's hot. Is it hot? It's hot. It's too hot to be outside. Hey, if you need a Bible, there's some folks that would love to hand you one tonight. I see them. Just slip up your hand and uh, if you want a Bible, which we want you to have the Bible in your hands tonight. I think maybe even uniquely with this passage of Scripture, um, it's really important that you're looking at it. Um, I'm shaming you into getting one now. It's okay, though. Um, so pull out your Bibles and turn to Psalm 62. We're in a series on the Psalms uh, for, for the summer, summer in the Psalms. And uh, the Psalms are teaching us to pray. And so tonight, Psalm 62 is, is going to teach us to pray, and I think in a really unique way. And tonight, I'm going to talk to you um, about the theme of silence. What is the place that silence has in our lives and, uh, and in a special way in, in our praying to God? So I want to tell you a story tonight about um, my college days. I, I, went to, uh, I went to a Christian college um, where I was trained, uh, got like a pastor degree, if you will. And so I, I took these kind of interesting classes. And one of the classes that uh, every um, pastoral ministry major had to take was spiritual disciplines. And so this class was, was designed to invite those of us, future pastors, um, into these different practices that would shape us in our life with Christ. And um, it would include things like prayer and fasting and simplicity, really, really amazing different experiences. And these were like our homework assignments, which you might have a problem with, but it was, it was kind of cool uh, to have your assignments be fasting or you're, you're just learning about these different, uh, these different practices that have helped shape people's lives. Um, but I'll never forget when we had to practice silence. And uh, uh, so, this, so our assignment, and this was a bit of an experiment, was that we would we would have to spend an entire day. So imagine it's a Tuesday from like Tuesday night at 6 p.m. to Wednesday night at 6 p.m. We had to be in total silence. And, uh, and we couldn't hide from people. That was the kicker. Was that, I mean, there were moments of solitude, but also in, in the assignment, you actually had to be around people. So this is a particularly awkward situation to find yourself in. But, um, so I let my friends know about um, kind of what was happening uh, I had to let some of my professors know, like, please don't call on me in class because uh, I won't give you an answer. And, uh, and they understood. And, uh, and I spent the whole day in silence, but also with people. So I'd go to class and I would uh, hang out with my friends. We would eat lunch in the cafeteria together. But all throughout the day, I was around people who were talking and speaking, yet I was totally silent. And it was, uh, I'm not necessarily recommending this, I'm certainly not telling you that you should have some kind of law or vow of silence in your life, but, but a, some profound things happened to me in that day that I'll never forget. You're sitting with, with a group of people in conversation and you realize how much, of, how much of the time when we're in conversation with each other are we just waiting for the person to shut up so that we can tell them what's really going on? Do you know what I'm talking about? You're like, somebody's like, and then I did this. And you're like, uh-huh, uh-huh. But what you should have done, you know what I mean? You're just waiting for, for like a single moment of silence so that you can speak. And so when, you, when I took this day to do that, it was... It had, it had an impact on me. I realized how often I would, I realized if I were to talk right now, 
I'd be really critical of my friend here. Or I would be, if I'm listening to their story right now, but I'd probably try and one-up them because I have a better story. <laughs> and, and, uh, but silence sort of brought all those things to the surface. And it reminded me about something, it taught me something about listening. I love what Eugene Peterson says. He says that language consists in equal parts of speaking and silence. Catch that? Equal parts of speaking and silence. And so if prayer, which is what we're talking about, if prayer is our language or our communication with God, it must include more than just what we say to God. Our prayer must include space for for silence where we could reflect and listen to his voice. Because this is the way that language works. But sadly, we're, we're incredibly uncomfortable with silence. I know some of you introverts think that you love silence, but when I say silence, I don't mean you sitting on your couch, flipping through your, through your phone, reading tweets or looking at Instagram. That's not the kind of silence we're talking about. We'll get into more of that, but, but the kind of silence that I think we're invited to in God's word tonight in Psalm 62 is, is a silence that takes a lot of practice and hard work. And, um, and it's in that that we learn how to pray. Now, last week, Adam reminded us that the words we speak to God in prayer actually matter, of which I am in 100% agreement. But he and I, uh, this week, we chose this psalm in particular because it, it carries with it this practice of silence, where we would not just say things to God, but invite him to say things to us. And so Psalm 62 is where we're headed. If you are in this wonderful Bible, it is on page 274. This is God's word. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him? Like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. Selah. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock. My refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. Again, I want to talk to you tonight about the theme of of silence. When we're studying the Psalms, it's really important that we, that we understand the genre of the Psalms that we're in. And this is a Psalm of trust. And there's, there's, there's many Psalms of trust in the, in the book of Psalms. And so the kind of the overriding theme is this idea of David placing his trust in God and God alone. And so that's, that's the theme, that's kind of the over writing genre of the psalm that we're talking about. It's a psalm about trust, but we're going to discover what it has to say about silence. And so the sermon tonight, the message is going to be kind of two parts. The first thing I want to do 
just show you how Psalm 62 has taught me to pray. And so this will be, I think, and I hope um, tonight will be at least slightly experiential because I think Psalm 62 teaches us a way to pray to God that's, um, that's really powerful. And the second part is I want to share with you what I believe is the fruit of silence in your life. Does that make sense? So part one is going to be like how to. This is a way to pray. That is, in fact, what we're doing in the sermon series. It's learning how to pray through the word. And so, so that's how we'll start. And it starts with Psalm 62 gives us a pattern. In the beginning of this psalm, what we see is that prayer starts with trust. You'll notice that at the beginning of this prayer, it's, it's, it's all about trust. There's this word, uh, a very short word that appears multiple times in our passage. Um, in the Hebrew, it's the word ak. A-K. Um, it's, a, it's a really hard word to translate, um, but the translators of our English Bible um, often translate this word ak as alone or only. And as we continue to work through this psalm tonight, you're going to see just many times this, this word is used, not only in this psalm, but as you read other psalms, you'll see that it's all over the psalms. Um, it's that word ak, for God alone. And it sets, the, it sets the tone of what the psalmist is trying to convey. What he's trying to convey in his prayer is that there's, only, there's really only one person, there's really only one being that I can trust. And it's God. And it's he alone. And so his prayer is meant to teach himself how to do that. So he starts, he says, for God alone. But that phrase right after that, I think is important for us to dive into. This is in verse one. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. Psalms is always talking about the soul. Or even more specifically, the psalmist is always talking to his soul. Have you ever noticed that? Oh, my soul. It's all over the Psalms. We, we rarely talk about what does the word soul mean? What is, it, what is that actually talking about? And so, if you'll allow me to speak philosophically for 60 seconds, I will try not to bore you. But um, I love this, what John Ortberg says. He says, the soul integrates the will, the mind, and the body. What? Here's a deeper quote from John Ortberg from the book Soul Keeping. He says this, your soul is what integrates your will or your intentions with your mind, which your thoughts and feelings and values and conscience. And your body, your face, body language, and actions. It integrates all of those things into a single life. And a soul is healthy or well-ordered when there's harmony between these three entities and God's intent for all creation. So when you're connected with God and other people in your life, you have a healthy soul. So when the psalmist is saying that my soul waits in silence... He's talking about his entire being. All that he is. It includes his mind, his thinking. It includes his, his will, the things that he intends to do. And it, it includes his body. All of this is um, integrated by the soul. And he says, I want all of me to wait and trust in silence before God alone. And so he starts that way. And then he gives reasons. Do you notice the reasons why he trusts in God alone? They come up in verse 2. I want to read that to you. He says, here's why. Here's why I'm trusting in God alone. Because he alone is my rock. 
He alone is my salvation. He is my fortress. The, the word fortress, it's like a military term. We're supposed to imagine um, a, a mighty um, like wall that is built up to keep the enemy from coming in and destroying a group of people. He's saying God's like that. He's a fortress. And he says, I cannot be shaken. I can't be torn down. So he just amplifies all these reasons for why he would trust God. He says, this is how, this is how I'm going to pray. I'm going to stir up in my soul all these reasons why I should lean on God alone. And so he tells himself that. So he starts with trust. But as we read through, you must have noticed that he begins to, to move from trust to trouble. Did you notice that? Many of the great prayers always have trouble in them. There's danger. In fact, every, every single trust psalm that is written in the psalms, every single one of them has an element of trouble or danger in it. There are none of them that say, you know, my life is so awesome and everything's really easy. And that's why I trust God. It's awesome. It's always like, I trust God, but they've got like a knife to my throat. You know, I mean, I'm serious. This is the nature of the trusting psalms. It's trouble. And, and, and that's something that I think we, we see most specifically with the first few words from verse 3. David says two words that you'll often see in the Psalms. How long? But really it's like, how long? Look at your neighbor and say, how long? That's not how he says it. He's like, how long? I mean, it's, this, is, this, is, uh, this is raw honesty. And it's an interesting transition. It's abrupt. I tried to read it the way I almost felt like he was saying it because he's like, I'm trusting in God alone. God's awesome. How long? You know, it's like this very next words is like, how long is this going to happen? And I wonder why we think we can't be honest in our prayer sometimes. The psalmist seems to have no problem doing that. It's not a problem for him to move from declaring his trust in God to talking about his trouble. And we're invited into that kind of prayer. Now, we, we don't know exactly why David wrote this psalm, but he, this is an interesting thing. Ma many people believe that David may have written this psalm when one of his sons was trying to overthrow his kingdom. So this is King David, and, and one of his sons, we're not sure, but one of his sons perhaps was trying to take over the kingdom, to kill dad. I mean, this is like family drama. This is like HBO. You can't, like, you can't make a show like, it's, it's insanity. And the reason we think that is because he says in, in verse, well, where is it? Okay, he says in verse four, he says, they only plan to thrust him down from this high position. So, there's something about David's life that's going on right now that is related to his high position. And what we know about his role or his job is that he's king. And David says, this is what they're trying to do. They're battering me. They're attacking me. Remember, what did he say about God? God is a mighty fortress. And then he says in verse 3, he says, they're attacking me like I'm some kind of tottering fence or leaning wall. What an awesome picture. Here's God, mighty fortress. Here's me, leaning fence. 
I have a leaning fence at my house. It's a joke. I drive by it. I'm convinced, so my house was built in 1972. I'm convinced that the fence was built in the same year. And the fence, when I drive down my street and I look at it, I can, I can see part of it just like, like bending. If it's windy, it's just sort of like moving. And I think to myself, if I look at it long enough, it's going to fall over. I have a three-year-old who runs around and he runs into everything. Every time he goes into the backyard, I'm like, which part of the fence is going to fall over? And David says, this is what my life is like right now. Tottering, leaning. Here's God. Here's me. He's being attacked. They're trying to tear him down. But yet his trust is in God alone. And I think this, I think that trust is the intersection of a true vision of who God is and a realistic vision of what my life is like. What God intends to do is to step into the reality of our life and to build our trust in him. I think that sometimes all we do in our prayers, all we do is we talk about how great and how awesome God is. We try to play, pray these lofty prayers to him I'm reminded of uh, Ben Stiller and Meet the Parents. You know what I'm talking about when they ask him to pray? Just YouTube it. It's amazing. But it's these lofty prayers like, God, you're so, you know, and we just build up this. But we never actually talk about what's going on in our life. And the psalmist says that's exactly what we have to do. That's actually the pattern here is, is a trustworthy God stepping into a frail life. And that's what we see. We need both. So it starts, his prayer, it starts with trust. It moves to trouble. But do you know what's next? What comes next is silence. What is the last word in verse 4? The last word in verse 4 of our passage is, does it on this, can we put verse 4 on the screen? I want to make sure it actually says that. Okay, so the last word is not curse. The last word is selah, which is a Hebrew word. And it's, it's sometimes argued about what it means and um, why it's there. And honestly, when you read the Bible, how many of when you read the Bible, or you're sitting at home and you're reading the Psalms, you just, you, you read the Selah and you're like, yeah, Selah. Nobody. And in fact, when we do calls to worship, we never read the Selah, which is, I think, a problem, actually. Because here, Psalm 62, if you look at the top of it, if you're looking in your Bible, it says that this is written to the choir master. So a selah is actually, it's a musical term. So it's, it's basically a musical interlude. Um, these psalms, um, which we call the songs of Jesus in this series, these, these psalms were meant to be put to music. They're meant to be sung. And I'd, I'd, I'd argue they're meant to be prayed. That was their intent. So they're not just these propositional truths. They're, they're melodies. They're, they're, um, they're prayers. They're emotional. And in the middle of many of these psalms, there'll be this break where it says Selah. If you're looking at your Bible and you look to your right or your left, you'll see that there's Selahs all over the psalms. And so they're a musical interlude where the song would have a, have a break and in, in, in the band or whatever is playing and, and the, those who are listening, those who are in the congregation are invited to reflect on what they just sung or what they just prayed. And so what I'm suggesting tonight is that there's a pattern here. If we're praying this psalm where we moved from trust, we start talking about our trouble, and then we stop talking. And we wait in the silence. 
I think that's what the Selah is. I think that the Selah is an invitation where we can meet God in a unique way, where all of our trust is laid before him, all of our trouble is laid before him, and we simply let it be. And it's one of the hardest things in the world to do. It takes so much practice. I'm going to talk a bit about my experience in, in praying this psalm in just a few minutes, but I, I, th- I think that what happens, I think that what happens in prayer, and don't judge me for this statement, but I do, I, if we're really honest, sometimes prayer makes things worse. Can I just say that? I, don't be too spiritual to dis- so you're disagreeing with that. And what I mean is this, is when we pray, and especially when we start to stir up these things in our life, it's like I'm praying and I'm more anxious. Have you ever felt that? Like I'm praying and actually I'm like, oh yeah, there's that thing too. I'm bringing everything to the surface. It takes courage because all these things start coming to the surface and I'm like, oh my gosh, I am a tottering fence. I am a leaning wall. And so we're invited to silence because I think that's where God meets us. And I'm going to talk later about how God meets us in some unique ways there. But, but David here, he, he intentionally says, okay, this is my trouble, and now I'm going to be still and be silent. Verse 5 picks up things again. And it's strangely almost the same exact verse as verse 1. Did you see in verse 5, he says, again, much like he does in verse 1, verse 5, he says, For God alone, oh my soul, wait in silence. This is urgent. He's not just talking about his soul, he's talking to his soul. I think that probably the silence, my guess, is that maybe it, maybe it stirred up even more. Maybe it was just it was it was so hard to, to lay all of his life bare before the Lord and then be in silence. And uh, there's, it's so challenging to do that. And so now he's coming back to trust and he's talking to his soul. He's urging it. He said, come on, soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. And he goes on in six and seven, he repeats a lot of these same phrases. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my salvation. I won't be shaken. God alone is my glory. Here's this pattern of praying, trust, trouble, silence, trust. Do you ever pray that way? I'm not going to suggest that you end in silence, because silence is so hard. But he comes back to trust, and he's talking to his most inner part of his being. You have to trust in God. You have to believe this. And that word, ak, Jesus again. You have to trust in God only. I can't trust in my family. The kids are trying to take over the kingdom. He's saying you have to trust in God alone. Now, I'm the community life pastor here. So part of my mission is to get every one of you into a community group, unashamedly. I think you should be in one. You come to Sunday nights, so it's kind of a big community group. But um, I want to see our church individuals come together in community. Um, I love it when, um, when the fall starts and all these women join um, the River Bible Study because it's so transformational in their life. We need community. We need to meet together 
and to study God's word and to encourage each other. But what I'm talking about tonight is not a group project. It actually is something that the psalmist says, this is actually something that only can happen between God and I. Silence and solitude becomes the arena where his trust grows, where his heart is laid bare before God and he meets with God. So there's the pattern of prayer. And here's what I experienced this week. I tried every day to do this. And, and wouldn't you know, my, my experience was similar to the psalmist. I'd start by stirring up um, truths about who God is. This is what God's like. This is what he's done. I can trust him. And then I just laid out all the things that I was concerned about. I'm worried about the kids the kid, my kids are trying to thrust me down from my high position as their dad. They're trying to take over. I'm kidding. No, I'm not. They are. Um, stressed about the house. I've got this friend, and oh, I don't know what's going to happen in their life. You start to just bear all of this at the feet of Jesus. And then I, I, I tried, and, and, and I really practiced this week, to simply leave it there. To not talk more about it, to not try to talk God into doing something, but simply let it be there. Invite him to speak into my life. Um, I think waiting and, and silence are, are intimately connected in the scriptures. And we'll see that in, in some other scriptures tonight. So I would simply just bring this to the Lord and I would wait. And, it, and um, by his spirit, and, it, and as best I could, I'd trust him. And it was really, really hard, but it was really, really worth it. Because God met me there. And I want to invite you to do that this week with this psalm, with Psalm 62. I want to invite you to, to pray in this way, to take this pattern, trust, trouble. Maybe you're like, I don't have any trouble in my life. So substitute trouble for like whatever is in there. Like whatever you, comes up in your life. Trust, trouble, silence, and then trust again. I believe that God's going to meet you there. I believe that it's worth it. And I want to talk about what I, what I think happens when we incorporate silence into our life. I think that there's something amazing that happens. I think that there's fruit from that. Uh, that fruit comes up. There's a benefit from having silence in our life. And the first thing that I think that we gain, uh, and I really believe this, is I believe that we gain God's perspective. And David actually shows us that. Do you remember in verse 4, we've, we've joked about it before, in, in verse 4 he says, these, these people, they only plan to, to thrust him down from his high position this, this role of king. They're coming after me, the king. But then listen to what he says in verse 9. He says, Those of low estate are but a breath. And those of high estate are a delusion. In the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. So, think about this. His concern in verse 4 is that he's going to lose his position, his high position of king. But then in verse 9, after he's worked through prayer, what happens in verse 9? He says, actually, the highest state or lowest state, it actually doesn't matter. 
Did you notice that? He says, if, if my life is considered a high estate, that's actually a delusion. I'm actually, I'm actually wrong in thinking that there is such thing as this high estate. What I think he's saying is that they actually might thrust me down from my high estate, but because God is who he is, I'm going to be okay. Because the reality is, is what David's fearing could happen might happen. It could happen. The man experienced so much pain in his life. And so have you, and so have I. But he's gained this perspective as he's trusted God with his troubles and as he's been silent before God, he's gained a new perspective that God alone, these are his words, God alone is his glory. It's not his victories. It's not his position. It's not his success. It's not his possessions. His glory is the fact that he is made in the image of God. That he can trust and relate to the God of the universe. That's what brings weight to his life. It's who God is. It's what God has done. In that perspective, I truly believe you only get that in silence. You only get that as you quiet your mind, your heart. Stop moving. And in your prayer, allow God to speak to you. So low or high estate, he says, it's, it's the same. They go up on the scales. And the thing I think that he, that's interesting about what he says is he recognizes that when we're in a low or a high estate or seemingly low or high estate, we have different types of temptation. And he brings this up in his prayer. Did you see that? In verse 10, he says, put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. When life is really down and really low, we're tempted to use whatever means possible to us to lift ourselves up, aren't we? Maybe not all the time, but probably once or twice in your life, right? You're like, things are really bad. I'm going to try to lift myself up on my own strength. And David here says, don't put your hope in. Um, so he's talking about wealth here. He says, if, if you find yourself in poverty, don't, don't put your hope in, in crime or extortion to raise yourself out of the pit. And he says to those of, those of us who have experienced success, he says, if you've experienced wealth, in verse 10, he says, if riches increase, set not your heart on them. That's perspective. Where David, has, who's had some of the highest of highs and some of the lowest of lows, say, again, the word ak, God alone. I can't trust myself in the lowest state that I've been in to raise myself up. And if I, if I, if I find myself in seeming success, I can't set my heart on that. I can't trust that I put myself there and that I could even stay there. It's perspective. That's God's perspective. So I think he's less concerned about what people can do to him. And it's because of this pattern of prayer. So there's God's perspective, which is so important. I think that if you pray this way, you're going to receive that as well. I think that if you pray this way, then your perspective of your own life is going to change. I remember sitting in the silence this week and, and, and hearing 
God say, your kids and your wife are not your glory. And I remembered him saying to me, your reputation is not your glory. And as I sat in silence, I was able to have my mind shaped by that. Does that make sense? God does that in us when we're still and before him. The second thing that, um, that we gain, the reward, I guess you might say, of the benefit of, of silence is that we're actually in a place where we can hear God speak. And there's a difference between a God, God's uh, a perspective and God's voice. They're often similar, but perspective is, is we begin to see things the way God sees them. But David actually hears God speak to him. God actually tells him something. In the silence, God speaks to him. And I think it's most clear in verse 11. He says this, Once God has spoken, twice have I heard. It's better translated, he says, Once God has spoken, and I heard him say two things. And the first is that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. In the silence, this is what God had to tell him. When we turn off the noise, when we turn off the phones, when we turn off the TV or the computer or the email, the Twitter or the Instagram, when we begin to turn those things off and get alone with God, he's going to speak to us. Now, I, I genuinely believe that many of us don't do this because we are deathly afraid of what he might say. You know, what's he going to say to me? When I get alone and I'm exposed, is he, is, what, what, what's going to be said next? Isn't it amazing what he says to David? I'm powerful and I love you. That, I think, is one of the greatest descriptions of God's character that we could ever get. Um, imagine if he only had one of those things going for him for a second. If God was just powerful but not loving, probably we're not sitting here. If he was just loving and not powerful, probably we're not sitting here. But he's both. And that's his word to us. That's what he speaks to us. Isn't that what David needed to hear in the midst of all his troubles? I'm powerful and I love you. I'm high above it all and yet I'm here with you. I'm strong and yet I'm gentle. I'm just but I'm compassionate. Not only am I able but I'm willing God says, I'm working on all the trouble in all of the world, and I've still got time for you. Don't we need to hear God's voice in that way? And yet, we fill our minds, we fill our days with so much clutter, so much distraction, that we can't hear the thing that he wants to say to us the most. Now, I, I, I do believe that 
um, that God sometimes says really unique things to us in the silence. He might reveal a direction you should go. I think that can happen. I genuinely believe that. I think that he might impress uh, something on your heart, that, a conversation that you need to have. But I promise you that he's going to always speak to you about his power and his love. Why? Because it's, it's perhaps the truest thing about him. It's that he's powerful, that he's loving. And we are invited in this prayer to lay everything before him and to wait for him in the silence so that he can tell us this. I love Lamentations 3, 25 to 26. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it later, but it says this. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. I love that. It's good that one should wait quietly. In fact, when we talk about silence, I, this is the way God designed it. He designed our lives so that we would need to wait for him in silence and in the quiet so that we could meet him. So this week, I'm going to invite you to practice that. It's not a magic formula. You might feel like you don't hear anything from God. You might not feel like you have this amazing new perspective. But, but again, I want to remind you that this, this actually takes practice. It actually takes a lot of work and um, you could spend a lifetime working on it. And I think that that is a life worth living. And it's an amazing way to, to seek God with your entire being, to trust him. 